0: We're going to share with you what they don't
1: teach you in business school. Welcome to the show.
0: Previously on Cascading Leadership.
1: This is no longer a pure AI problem. This is actually a messier problem. How do we actually bring up and lift up all these frontline folks that are small businesses, local nonprofits, religious organizations, even the role of local government services? How do we bring that perspective? So that is a big part of what we do.
0: And now the conclusion of our conversation with Phil Chow of Humanitas and how AI can be used to make a more inclusive internet.
1: We built free middleware tools to bring online nonprofits that we are trying to incentivize them to be more digital than they are now. So my my target in the nonprofit space is usually the junior person in the accounting operations team of many of these organizations who are struggling, juggling between the 30 or 40 off the shelf tools that they're using and how all these different data sources can up to each other. So that's one part, just building a infrastructure for them to be no code, very simple, to use, so that they have more of a delightful and efficient online experience. We save time and lock capacity. That's our one line. What we realize is that even if that perspective that ground is in the beautiful spreadsheet ready to go even if i were choose to give that to some of the big techs and their if they have a social impact team great responsible innovation team even better they do not typically have the in-house capacity to transform that ground truth and embed that into the core products and services to put things in scale facebook meta has at least a hundred thousand colleagues now in their social they have a social impact team let's see roughly a thousand folks at this point i would say probably less than a hundred are technical so how can that hundred technical folks that's already busy fixing the bugs of facebook fundraiser and some of the other social impact things? they do not Have the capacity to steer this giant ads machine. And how do you not have that be a little bit more inclusive? They just do not have the capacity to build that from zero to one. But it's not that they can't use tools. So that's what we do as a step two. We transform that insights into a way that's developer friendly so that can be plugged in. So yeah, clean up data and then package it as pre trained models. That's what we do. And what I mean model is that a bunch of different data sources out there. Currently, the algorithms are really powered by two buckets of data social media and e commerce data. These data become bundles of like pre-trained models. Like Google search algorithm, I think triggers like 200 models <laughs> to get the results that you need, maybe for banking solutions a little bit different. So we then offer one of that 200 models that the in-house team at the Googles or Facebook can use and see if overall that core algorithm they use is now returning more profit and be less risky ultimately what we call reducing the false negative rates algorithmic output that's it that's what we do we're not a compliance tool we're not an AI audit there are folks doing that and I think it's necessary but our goal is just like how do we incentivize even the largest organization to see that folks like you and I we are opportunities
2: we're not cost center for the two categories that you talk about what are some of the implications for not doing it well or not getting
1: oh yeah for like mortgage lending I think every month there's a new keys on Wells Fargo and stuff that they did not do. The latest one I read was for the year 2020, African-Americans start applying to remortgage their homes. Acceptance rate was 53%. And for every other ethnicity, it was like low 70s to high 80s. That is, that's the state of where things are at right now. There's another study done that was done by, I think, a Chicago and a Stanford GSB professor. But the whole premise there was that if a young Black mom must apply for a mortgage loan for the first time, her rejection rate, keeping all the factors constant, goes up by 40 to 250%, depending on the count. And this is just isolating for the fact that this person was black in a way that like you can quantify racism and sexism in many of these algorithmic decisions. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're saying that can we reduce that variance? This what we do can't solve everything. If you really want an algorithm to provide the best optimal decision for a person, you have to know more about that person. The thing is, for example, my mom uses her credit card once a month. There's no way to know more about her. And even if there are tools to indirectly learn and sign on my mom, I just don't think that from a moral standpoint, even just more pragmatically, a marketing standpoint, I don't think even the big oil and their PR team can spin that in a positive way. But anyways, my whole take is we just assume more individual data of low income and BIPOC people is no touch like whatever banks already have of that user, that's one thing. Whatever is already reflective in FICO, we just assume that as true. But how do we complement that perspective with something a little bit more aggregated across the community? How are different pieces of the community interacting with each other? And can we provide
2: that perspective to these as one of the many models? You share with the audience that when you talk about such a huge variance of 40 to 200 percent, what are the data points that the algorithms are pulling from to yeah. come up with that sort of a profile that is vast, as the word.
1: Yeah, so there have been a couple control tests that was done on this, but if you just type in like forty two fifty, and black my mortgage loan GSB, you can probably find some academic research on that. But mm-hmm. the reason behind that is that the FICO score, which is something that's very much anchored to not just individuals' access to credit in the U.S., but our online, IT. it's not nuanced. If you pay your credit card bill late two weeks ago and two years ago, is the same waiting. It does not adjust for time. So there are a lot of like small things like that. It penalizes you as a person. Or that if I'm a bank and that most of the customers that we have are in some of the higher income major zip codes, if once in a while I get an applicant from a zip code that we typically don't work with, they don't have enough information to assess whether this is something that should be valid or not. So again, by default, if they don't know enough, The answer is So that's generally what's happening right now. If the algorithm deems that I just don't know enough about this applicant, it's safer for them to say
2: no than risk Mm -hmm. saying yes. I have a couple of of follow-up questions and they're completely different from one from the other. Oh, as far as the not-for-profits that you're working with? Yes. Do they understand the opportunity that you're providing them and what's been the traction around your deployment? When we started this program, just truth be told, I was so nervous about sharing
1: a bigger story with the nonprofit community. Because I read the news, right, there's Toronto's and just every week there's some new scammer or charlatan that's out there. And that historically, the tech community, we have not done a good job in terms of truly providing tools that can be useful. It's one thing to be like, I can make my software free, All you have to do is change entirely how you do things so that you can use my free tools. I was very nervous. But I remember that one of these conversations I had with a New York nonprofit, the team, and we talked with them already. We showed them a demo of what we do. And the lead, the president of that said, Philip, this is amazing. It's free. We know we love it. What's the catch? What's in it for you? Why are you doing this? Until that point, we just focus on that nonprofit narrative. And this is the value proposition of what we can provide them a way to save time, unlock capacity for their operations, accounting, and junior okay. development. Right? With the New York nonprofit, I was nervous because that was the first time a nonprofit explicitly asked us okay, this is an amazing tool, awesome that it's free, but what's the agenda? How do you guys benefit from this relationship with that New York nonprofit? And that was the first time I was very uncomfortable, but I shared a bigger picture. It's like, look, this is my fight. This is the bigger picture of what we see that's happening right now. And we think that a more online civil society can help to counteract this increasingly racist and sexist internet. And I remember after I, I said that the president of the nonprofit, she got quiet for one or two seconds and she's Bill, Phil, that's wonderful. You should tell people that. It's a good thing. I may not know fully how you do it, but if that's the direction you want to take it, that's great. And yeah, so I would say that one thing that, and maybe this is just my auntie, as like a Asian, Canadian, I've been told to keep my head down my whole life, Or just really sharing what I think and what I believe in. I'm still working on that, is to... Be on the premise that there are people like you, like Jim, out there that really believe that, hey, we have to work together in solidarity to build something better for everyone. Yeah. If I don't speak up, nothing's gonna happen.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that segues to another element about what we've been discussing is that, in, in your opinion, what are these implications if we continue to not do some of the things that you're trying to solve for?
1: There are a couple of like demographic stats on this already, but in the coming decade, by 2032, the majority of the American working class will be people of color. These tools today that are biased for the white and East Asian males, that bias will only exacerbate unless we directly confront them, not as a CSR issue, not even as a DI issue. Because unfortunately, based on how these publicly traded profit-maxing, rising forever machines are structured, I have zero confidence that they can ever. Justify sufficient resources to actually tackle these issues that they have with their core product and services. So, what it means is that as we have more people part of the digital economy, they will suffer more and the other piece is that one we have the demographic bias in and of itself the other piece is that across the ai community they're now thinking like how can the entire consumer journey be automated not just that initial vetting of what you're looking for and not just in terms of call center but the entire flow from end to end and as more of that automation happens people that are low income, people that are new to the internet, the ones that do not know how to like search strategically in Google to find the contact information, People that can, a human that can pick up a phone, they will get penalized in this internet that we're trending towards. And that's in the next 10 years. And I will say that, knock on wood, with the current pandemic and what's happening,
2: that's getting, that's accelerating right now. All of these different gaps that are happening mm-hmm. for marginalized communities. It's a scary notion, I think, mm-hmm. because when I hear people talk about the phrase today, it's like the digital divide. It's talked about, but I don't hear many organizations doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. saying, okay, let's take a stab at this and see if we can't come up with some way to resolve it. I hope that one of the outcomes will be the beginning of other folks listening and hearing and saying, hey, this is important. As we talk about the future of AI, the idea around representation, having folks that look like the folks that you're talking about, what how do you think that will help to solve for some of this? think...
1: And I don't know if this is just about a race or ethnicity issue, Mm -hmm. but for any problem, having diversity of thought can probably provide a better solution versus groupthink. And if you just have a bunch of folks that's relatively homogenous, all hacking away in their mom's garage, in a very vanilla, homogenous community, probably you're not designing and building something that's representative of people mm-hmm. beyond that group. And the way in which I think a lot of technology companies started is that we all are building based on our personal experience. It's not that that in and of itself is a bad thing, but if that initial build that you are approaching it by is representative of my narrow view of how the world is. It will ever only be relevant to folks within that constituency. So having more of that diversity from day one and really look up this term called responsible innovation, it's awesome. There's this book, I'm just going to plug this book. It's called Intended Consequences. It's by the managing partner of a General Catalyst. So I think Really trying to be intentional at day one on these issues will have very profound implications on companies and the way that they grow. If they grow well, just think of this as a bamboo, right? If the bamboo is tilted at day one, you can patch it up pretty easily. But man, if it's already growing like that, and it's a couple hundred yards away. Yeah. Trying to fix that, that is tough. You know, now you talk about very structural issues embedded into the very fiber
2: of that company. I think that when you started talking about the intended consequences and the responsible innovation it led me to my next thought what are you ultimately hoping for as a as expected impact for your company not to brag i think Humanitas
1: will do quite well so that part i just i don't even think about it i will do quite well so i think it's fine but maybe the professional success of Humanitas is it can inspire hope to inspire other entrepreneurs i feel like whenever i get labeled as a impact tech leader or a social entrepreneur i'm just like i'm not really that i'm just an entrepreneur and i just believe that at the core If we do what we do, it just oozes. I don't plan for Humanitas to have a CSR team because I'm like, if we need to carve out what we do and make a point to explicitly spell what we do, we're not doing it right. Yeah, it's a great point. In terms of that broader impact, one of that is like, how do we inspire You know, if we can succeed like the Intel did back in the day and inspire an entire generation of folks to really think about scalable impact, super dope that be super awesome. But the other side of that is at the beginning, when I talk about the user experiences of folks right now and how unfair they feel, I hope that we can build towards a future where the average American can wake up in the morning and feel that life is right. Now, I can only tweak or adjust things within the online space. But if the current trajectory of the internet is going the way that we think it is, more and more of our daily lives, our daily touch point will be online. Maybe the role of technology can help affect that. in a way, kind of like inception, but I hope that the average person can wake up and feel like life is just, life is fair. Let's do our best. Because unfortunately, I do not feel that is reflective of America mm-hmm. today. And it's mm-hmm. sad. It's painful. I think that you, you shared what the hope is. Can you say a little bit about the book, though? Yes, not all, but most of the big tech companies and over the last 10, 15 years, they have a variation of a team called trust and safety. The role of trust and safety team is reacting to things that are not going well with respect to the core product and services that are providing, like how it affects all the stakeholders in the community. Now, responsible innovation is in a way almost like the counter is like, how do we actively get things right? How can the investments that we make as a company in the coming years, within the ability that we can steer the ship in a way that's as inclusive as possible? from day one. And the way that I'm trying to evangelize is rather than looking at just stuff that we're trying to fix from a compliance perspective, that's important, right? There'll be new regulations and you have to patch things up, but how do we be aggressively nice? How do we be aggressively inclusive? I love the book. You know? I laugh at some of the sections in there right? because I think Haman author, is also someone that I would label as aggressively nice. We have to do something, right?
2: If there were key takeaways that you would want people to say, okay, this is really important. And I think we had shared earlier that we talk about helping moving the careers of folks further, faster. One of the reasons that we've been having MPOs on is that when we talk about, Jim and I have talked about this over the years, is that we start with humanity. We blossom out from there and then we can handle these issues that we experience together as opposed to a lot of the polarization that we have going on in the world. When you think about it for Phil, what are those key takeaways that you would say you would want to leave i think if there
1: is one grand truth or one perspective to look into is that whether it's a for-profit non-profit or government entities and people were all driven by incentives so if it's a business follow the business model it doesn't matter what they say in their marketing or the pr first understand how that company makes the majority of their money because if you can understand that core piece everything else ought to make more there are things i would not dive into but if you can understand for example the business model from the perspective of an ad on Facebook, you can see why it's so difficult in some circumstances to Maybe I said too much already. That's the thing, right? If you truly understand how incentive structure works and what motivates these organizations to do more of what they do, things that may seem illogical will make a lot more sense. And it's the same thing of what we see In nonprofits. A nonprofit with a very diverse set of donors, they operate very differently from those that have a handful of supporters, even if they are programmatically doing the same thing. Because that power dynamic is a little bit different, governance structure is a little bit different. There is no one size fits all solution. Once you get in the habit of first and foremost, understanding how incentives work. That's the mindset I take anyways, whenever I evaluate a potential partnership or folks that we should be working with or explore a customer or like a client relationship, if they're like a nonprofit that we may consider providing our services
2: with. Awesome, Phil, thank you. I truly believe that the show will be one that's gonna be a big hit for us. My hope is that we will have an opportunity to have you back on because I, we talked about this earlier, that I think that there's a lot to cover. But I think it's so important. I'm happy that you were able to be with us today and break it down in a way that we can understand it and for the audience to digest it as well. We actually, we're on several different social media platforms. We're on Mm -hmm. Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. That's where you can find us. But Phil, where can folks find you if they're interested in connecting with you or learning more about you then i'm pretty accessible there email is just my first name philip ph
1: i'll i'm sure we will be on the buy whatever on the description but yeah i have i don't have much of a life so i'm generally very responsive to emails i'm easier to communicate online than offline i'm actually i'm not good at offline
2: that's pretty funny i wasn't expecting that and i think this is actually gonna make the show because i think you're the first to say that but we really again we enjoy it we're always asking for feedback on cascading leadership the show this is an episode that I think we, we had a lot of fun covering a lot of information. I yeah. so, uh, Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.